0: because it's your earlier than usual marshy movie time join us on facebook live if you can to get the word of the week how are you are you all right love
1: i i'm all right a little disoriented uh, you know <laughs> this is uh, a little early for me in the weekend, in the day yeah. but i'm making do just doing my job ma'am that's it whatever it takes yep. you know
0: what are you doing today then what's, huh? what's been going on we've got uh, five films to look at and a bit of truth a mm. bit of bit of nonsense too what's that
1: well if i'm completely honest you know not to show my hands so early but it's a bit of like sort of compensating for the fact that there's not a lot that's any good you just showed your week. hand
0: early i know i did <laughs> I and you like that radio four's playing some really nice mozart at the moment <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah yeah the next half hour is going to be bobbins so feel <laughs> <like> free to <laughs> to uh, yeah tune out um yeah no it's just one of those weeks in the middle of the summer where we're kind of between blockbusters that said you know there is a new minions movie out nice Minions
0: not Mr. two. Bean, is it? It's not Mr Bean. Oh, what a mistake
1: already. No, no, but that is also. I mean, that's a whole other thing. Man versus B yeah. is a is a TV series, right? In name only, really, uh, on Netflix. But we'll we'll get to that. But yeah, no. The, I suppose the big release of the week is Minions: The Rise of. Hey, Green. Tommy's
0: up early for us too. He said he's on Facebook. He's told us he's up early just for you. Join Tommy on Facebook Tommy. Live. Don't let him worry you that much. Yes, right sir.
1: now. The, The first Minions film made over a billion dollars worldwide, which probably, you know, explains why they have sat on this film for a couple of years, you know, much like Top Gun Maverick or something like that. This was supposed to come out a couple of years ago, and as soon as the pandemic kind of reared its head, they were like, nope, we're going to pull it, we're going to wait, we're not going to go to a streaming platform like some of the others did or try and squeeze it out to get people back into cinemas. They said, no, we're going to wait and because the last one made a billion dollars you kind of get it um however this is not you know well this is this is not that movie not that that movie was especially great actually um this is a prequel so the first minions so okay let's go right back to the beginning the minions first arrived in despicable me animated film starring um the voice of steve carell as supervillain villain grew who had you know, plans to steal the moon and what have you, and he just had this little army of little yellow bubble-headed characters. Do you think this could have been an
0: accidental sensation that they took over, kind of thing?
1: Mm. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because you actually interrupted me just as I was explaining that exact thing. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> Simplistic. <symbiosisistic. laughs> um, I know. I know. This is it's, it's the beauty of our artistry. It's how it works. Um, so, in the first despicable me apparently in the first draft of the script the minions weren't even in the script and in the during sort of the animation process and the rewrites and what have you that happens with one of these gestating projects they added something they needed something for uh Gru's character to to um pontificate to if you like and so they created this little army of um minions and they proved uh, a surprise success so that in the sequel despicable me too they were given a much expanded role in the film and you know they were clear characters were defined amongst them and they had their own little sort of spin-off episodic adventures within the within the feature and so popular with it. And I think the studio realized what a huge merchandising opportunity they were as well. You know, if you look around now, there's minions, everything, you know, from pillowcases to duvets, to cuddly toys, to, uh, (laughs) you know, money boxes, you name it. Um, So they saw that, you know, this, this was the strength of the franchise. And so they created Minions, which was a spin-off prequel talking about how they've been around since the dawn of time, moving from one supervillain to another supervillain, you know, helping them in their nefarious schemes, and that made a billion dollars. They they did Despicable Me three, which I thought was actually the low point of the franchise. Really, I just didn't find it funny at all. And so now we come back with um, Minions: The Rise of Gru. So this is the story of when they first, the minions first met Gru, Steve Carell, supervillain, when he was a young boy. But he already has aspirations to become uh, super evil, as he puts it. <laughs> and in fact, there is a, a cadre of supervillains called the, the Vicious Six. And they oust one of their members in a, in a sort of little mini coup. And so there is an opening. So he, uh, he signs up for it. But then he gets pretty much laughed out of his, his interview when they realize that he's just a little boy. But he steals a pendant From them, which are you know, turns out to be a key that unlocks a secret weapon that's going to sort of uh, they're going to use to destroy the world. So he runs off with it. So they run after him. The minions are in tow and, and embroiled in all of that as well, and hijinks ensue. I thought this was this was fine. It's intermittently amusing. I think the problem here is that the minions have now been given too much to do. It's kind of the law, of, the rule of diminishing returns. It's a bit like what they did with Johnny Depp in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. You know, He worked really well in the first movie because he was like the, the weird eccentric comedy sidekick. But when you make him the main character, you get tired and bored of him very, very quickly and he kind of like runs out of steam. The same is true of the Minions. I think the, the more and more that the series hones in on them the less funny they become i think there's a
0: squillion 10-year-olds that wouldn't agree with you and that's what it's well, about i think isn't that, it? i think
1: this yeah. is true this i think this is true i mean i went to see the film with a with a die hard minions fan who just thinks that they're the funniest thing in the world and she chuckled and guffawed her way through the whole thing you know and uh and, you know, that's, that's absolutely fine. If they, if they are doing the job for yeah. you and tickling your funny bone, then who am I to say that it's not working? For me, they're, they're becoming a little bit too articulate, a little bit too smart for their own good. What I always liked about the Minions themselves is that they're quite mean, you know, both to each other, to one another, and just to everybody. You know, they are, at the end of the day, henchmen to supervillains. Mm-hmm and they were just kind of little nasty little critters to begin with but they've become increasingly kind of cutesy and um sort of family friendly this mustn't surprise you though it's it's uh, no, not at
0: all. evolution not
1: at all. you know it, it it is maybe that's what it is the evolution of a brand uh and a, a huge juggernaut of merchandising potential it's so this film is set in the 1970s. Oh. It leans into kind of the dip, certainly the disco music, the soundtrack is, is packed with, um, with 70s disco hits, uh, there is also a strong sort of Chinese element in there, which feels a little bit outdated. It kind of shows the film's age somewhat because there was a period of time about five years ago when a lot of Hollywood movies were sort of pandering to get into the, the mainland Chinese market. Um, those opportunities have since been kind of cut off. You know, the the, the, the Chinese market isn't really accepting many uh, mainstream hollywood blockbusters in at the moment and many and many mainstream
0: companies are saying look we are what we are and they're being pretty firm mm-hmm. about it aren't they
1: they are and they're saying we don't need uh, these imports and also hollywood is realizing that these co-productions that it was pursuing oh so hungrily so 10 years ago whatever uh, didn't really pay off in the way that they wanted them to and so the fact that this one has a huge sort of Chinatown element and uh, Michelle Yeoh voices a character who is essentially a, a sort of a kung fu mentor to them is all fine and it, and, it, and it works perfectly well. Um, but it just feels a little bit passe now, quite frankly. Um, so it's, it's more of the same, really. And if that's what you like, you're going to like this. But if you're looking for something fresh and new in The Rise of Gru, you'll be disappointed
0: is that a tiny bit i mean just talking about this for what it is the whole idea of the pre-story and everything that's really fun that's a really well-trodden path and it's always fascinating but is is it our usual thing of rubbish done well
1: well certainly the origin story is something that hollywood has latched onto in the last sort of 20 years or so and now any franchise because You know, there's only so much you can do with a franchise with the same stars. You know, for for one reason, because you know actors get old and characters get killed off. And I think it was really the the Star Wars prequels that launched this idea of well, you know what you can do Hmm. is you can take you can take your big character who's now dead. Uh, or the actor's too old to do another sequel, and just jump back fifty years and do do his origin story. And so it's a completely new cast, so that's cheaper. You know, the cast will be inv- invariably younger, so that appeals back to the kids again, rather the, than these uh, kid elts and these grown man children <laughs> that are that are, st- that are still keeping us afloat. Um, and your and wife, opens- of course. It opens up the opportunities <laughs> yeah. for keeping a man child like me. At exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, so it opens up all kinds of new uh, story opportunities, but with a recognizable brand. Right. So, so in that regard, yes, this is the rise of this is literally, we had the origin story of the minions. Now it's the origin story of Gru himself. And there are a lot of callbacks. If you remember the, the first uh, despicable me films and the characters they're in um, you will you will see them here, and how he met other collaborators like Russell Brand's uh, aging inventor character from the from the first film. You see how that happens, and various other little sort of Easter eggs. Um, but but we've seen this trick this trick has been played many 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 times on us, and the the returns are diminishing. But we are in the time of legacy sequels, yes. and you know which has come is kind of the opposite of origin stories, in as much as it's now bringing new characters back into to do old to do old stories again with new characters. So it's kind of it's kind of just another way of reinvigorating tired old franchises. But hey, you know, if you look at Top Gun Maverick, for example, exactly. it's, it's now it's now made a billion dollars worldwide. It's the biggest film of the year. It's been a massive success commercially and critically everywhere. So if you get it right, it works. Minions is like i said it's it's not reinventing the wheel it knows what its strengths are arguably it's leaning too heavily upon them it'd be interesting to see where they go from here uh but if you are a minions fan and there are clearly a lot of them out there then th- this will this will scratch the itch this gets the tick from the fans does it they don't
0: feel betrayed.
1: Certainly got the, the tick from the one diehard fan in my household. Anyway. <laughs> okay,
0: then what a. Hey, it's marshy movie time. Early, early on the Thursday and early in this week uh, because he's having a holiday tomorrow to go and see a film, probably. Join us on Facebook Live, Morning Brew. We're there. Love to hear from you.
1: What do you got? Okay, I did want to say there's a little something in the news today. The, uh, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, AMPAS, who are in charge of the Oscars, every year they invite new members in. And they published their, recent li- their new list of 2022 inductees. Mm. Uh, and uh, there was like 360-something new members announced, including people like Billie Eilish, Anya Taylor-Joy, Jamie Dornan, but also Hong Kong's own Sandra Ng. Oh, yeah. So that's nice. Mm. I was trying to find a list of other Hong Kong film industry folks who are in, and I couldn't find one. I'm sure that people like Wonka Kar-wai are in there as well. Uh, Choi Hark, I think, is in there. And I'm sure some of the actors, uh Fan Fan and Tony Leung and people like that, I'm sure they are. Not yeah. to take anything away from Sandra Orng, but you know, she's not the first. But she, Still, I think she is the, uh, yeah, no, I think she is, yes, yes, I, I'm not detracting. She is the, um, I think, the only new Hong Kong actor to uh, have been invited in this year. And that's great. That's really, you know, that's great. It really helps the diversity of the membership. Uh, it helps mix up the um, the voting somewhat. So in, it in turn makes predictions come Oscar time all that more difficult. You know, you can't now fall back on, oh, well, that's an Oscar movie. Hmm. So that's always exciting for me <laughs> when it comes around. And um, yeah, so well done. Well done, Sandra Ong. I look forward to you uh, skewing skewing the voting for years to come uh, in ways that we shall uh, appreciate. Let's do a shorty before the news. We've got four minutes. Okay, well, let's do Prior Convictions, which is our our weekly Japanese drama entry. This is a spin-off sequel to a TV show that stars Kasumi Arimura as a part-time convenience store worker who volunteers as a probation officer. Right. Uh, so it's unpaid work that she does for its altruistic... Um, rewards and in this one there is a a, a, an aging i think he was a murder yeah he's a he's a murder felon who's back in society working as a mechanic and six months in he's doing really really well then there is an incident a cop has his gun stolen is shot and then the gun is used in a series of murders a series of shootings and guess what this aging uh ex-con played by Gomorita, is implicated in it and sort of then disappears off the face of the earth. Right. So she's got to step up and do something about it. But Kasumi Aramura, as we know, and as I'm sure you know, she's a pretty meek, timid, unassuming character. So she's an unlikely hero oh. to uh, go up against, you know, the criminal underworld. So, I mean, this is very much sort of cut from the same cloth as the the tv series it followed and it's kind of there's a lot going on and at times the pacing is a bit too slow but then it rushes lots of stories story strands so once one wonders why they didn't just make a second season of the tv show rather than why do you think? make a two and a, rather than make a two and a half hour movie well i guess it's it's the novelty of it it gets people into the cinemas they can make in theory, more money from ticket sales than from people just watching it on TV. You know, it it becomes an event. Okay. Especially
0: now, because everybody's got the joy of spring Mm. of getting out and going back to the movies and stuff, I suppose.
1: Yeah. But the film, for me, uh, felt overlong, poorly paced... Like I said, long stretches where nothing happens and then, uh, and then they rush a lot of backstory and a lot of explanation and what have you. Hmm. Um, and, they, and there was clearly story to be told. You know, she gets involved in her own. She works through some of her own uh, past demons as well. And so you felt it, it was poorly served, I think, in a feature length format. I think uh, if they'd given it like another six hours, you know, like a, a series, six hour long episodes, they could have explored all of that better. Mm. Uh, so i mean there are probably some fans out there of the tv show and this is more of the same and a slightly starrier cast you know i guess that's an advantage of a, of a feature length version you can get some bigger names in maybe that's it um mm-hmm. so maybe that is it uh but for me it it didn't it, you know it, it was it was a bit of a slog
0: okay what's it called once again it was that much of a slog I it's called. i remember it was called prior convictions okay Marshy, movie time will continue after the news, which is coming up for you in just a few seconds. What are we going to get into? He always takes a sip of coffee when I
1: it. He always asks me a question. Yes, we, I haven't managed to. We, I haven't managed to drink any of that. What are we going to uh, do? We have got the contractor, the contractor yeah. with Chris Pine, yeah, and Man versus B with Rowan Atkinson. All right,
0: go on. One, two, three. Big slap. <laughs> james marsh we're still on facebook live and waiting for your comments we just got tommy waking up early so far morning brew is our page tell us what you're going to get into see if it piques any interest
1: okay well i'm going to talk about the contractor with uh chris pine but first of all i thought i would talk about man vs. b which is the new comedy series on netflix starring rowan atkinson and a cgi (laughs) b so let's start with that so this really is uh, a series in in name only. It's nine episodes long, but it's a each episode. <laughs> each episode is ten minutes long, and they carry on immediately after one another. Uh, so you, so you, I sat and watched the whole thing in one go, and it took me ninety minutes. Right. You know, and and there are no sort of even ellipses of time in between each episode or what have you. Um, you get the feeling that the reason why he has cut it this way is sort of in in homage to the great sort of silent classic physical comedians, because, you know, those single reelers one, back in the yeah. day with, Cha- with Chaplin and uh, Keaton and, uh, and um, oh, why have I blanked on his name? What's um, the safety last guy called? Howard Lloyd. Thank you very much. Um, you know, they were they were sort of 10, 12 minutes. Oh, you're very happy. <laughs> they were kind of 10, 12 minutes long, and it was essentially one comedy set piece. And that's what happens here. Essentially, he plays a guy called, uh, Trevor. Right. Who is going through a divorce and, or he he is now divorced and he is supposed to be going on holiday with his daughter, but he needs to get a job. So he has got a job for a house sitting company who specialize in looking after, uh, very, you know, expensive, luxurious homes while their, you know, owners go away on holiday and what have you. So he shows up at the door of just such a couple who are, you know, typically awful, yeah. uh, played by Julian Rintut and uh, Jing Lusi, who are literally rushing out the door to go away for a week. Um, they don't hand him the keys because there aren't any keys. They hand him the manual to use, to use their house, which is all sort of uh, – Yeah. Motion, motion sensors and automated security systems and lots of priceless artworks on the walls and on the coffee tables. There is a dog with a particularly sensitive stomach and, you know, a very nice garden that is lots of lots of glass everywhere. You know, it is a minefield for a you know, a clumsy clutch well, like it? Rowan Atkinson. Um, and then what follows him into the house also is a bumblebee, which he becomes completely obsessed over when he's trying to get it out of the house. And essentially, the um, the entirety of the series is are the lengths that he goes to, the increasingly ridiculous and destructive lengths that he goes to to get this bee out of the house. We know that it all goes horribly wrong because the film... Opens or the series, I should say, opens at the end with him in court facing charges of, you know, property vandalism, uh, property destruction, arson, and, and amounting to millions and millions of pounds. Okay. You know, there is a, an original E-type Jag in the in the garage, uh, and what have you. You know, there's a Rothko on the wall. There's a um, a mobile uh, designed by Kandinsky. There are lots of sort of tribal sculptures, you know, everything that could possibly go wrong does go wrong. And it unfolds in, like I said, a series of 10 minute physical comedy, largely silent and wordless dialogue-free vignettes. And so this is really um, Rowan Atkinson. Back in his uh, comfort zone. This is kind of Mr. Bean territory, really. You know, most of that was the single seat scene, ten minute sketches, no dialogue, all all physical comedy. You know, and obviously harking back to to the greats of the beginning of uh, beginning of cinema. And you know, it's it works for the most part. I think the problem with it is that he's on his own most of the time. I mean, I think that what was funny or the source of a lot of the humor in mr bean was that yeah he's got all of these weird solutions to get out of these ridiculous situations but what makes it funny is that he's doing that in front of other people you know and it's the reactions of the um, you know the waiters or the other customers or the people on the beach or whatever that really elevates the humor whereas here he's just on his own And there's only so much running and bumping and crashing around that you can do before it just gets a little bit repetitive and a little bit sort of tiresome. Maybe that's why they divided it up into 10-minute segments rather than do it as one 90-minute feature. Lots of references to
0: movies from eras gone by. Is there some personal passion thing for him?
1: I think it is. I think these are his idols. You know, he's always... It's it's funny because you know I got to know him first obviously through Blackadder, which is very dialogue heavy and so much of the humour there is in uh, the wordplay that Richard Curtis and Ben Elton were largely responsible for,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and his cynicism. You know, Mister Bean is um, you know an an, an evil little so and so really, but it was that was completely um, physical ba- physical based, and so here it's. It's largely more of that, you know, that like I said, there, there is very little interaction with any other characters other than a dog and a bee. Um, So there is very little dialogue. So there isn't really a a scope for wordplay or witty um, retorts or anything like that. Um, And I just, I just felt that it's, it kind of, it kind of outstayed its welcome, but I do wonder whether it would work better in little 10 minute segments. Like Although, have a break, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Just watch, yeah. Watch them in, in watch it in chunks. Although I don't think anybody really does that, particularly on Netflix. You know, the, the 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 platform is set up. I mean, I didn't touch my remote control at all. In fact, the only time I touched it was when halfway through it asked me, "Are you still there? Are you still alive? <laughs> Are you still watching?" Because I hadn't done anything. It just oh. automatically rolls over, rolls over, rolls over, and I was like, "Yeah, of course I'm here. It's only been on like forty minutes." So. So for me, it's it's good. It achieves what it sets out to do, you know, and it's, this is a collaboration with a, um, a real comedy veteran. Here's uh, a guy called Will Davies, who mm-hmm. has worked with Rowan Atkinson before on the, the Johnny English movies. He wrote those. Um, and his writing credits go all the way back to things like Twins in the late 80s. Crazy. So he's been, this Will Davies has been around for a long, long time and has a very storied career in comedy, both physical and uh, dialogue focused. So, you know, it's, and, and like I said, they have a long-standing relationship, the Johnny English stuff, which obviously was born out of those old Barclay card commercials yeah. <laughs> where he paid, played a kind of spy yeah, yeah, yeah. bond, yeah. the bond star spy, you know, they've got, they've got legs. They've done him very well, that character. And so I've got to be honest, I was a little underwhelmed by the time it got to the end. I had certainly had enough. But I think it's this is him doing what he's good at. Yep, and just, having fun. Yeah, but I do, I, I do still miss Blackadder. I do still miss just the dry, um, cynicism of that character, and I don't think we've seen that from uh, from Rowan Atkinson in far too long. Oh, well. And I, I would like, I would like more of that, please. Man versus B. All right then. mm Hmm. Okay. So I think the last one we're going to do today, probably is is The Contractor, which is a new movie from Tarek Saleh, starring Chris Pine, Gillian Jacobs, Ben Foster, and Kiefer Sutherland. Right. So Chris Pine plays U.S. Army Ranger James Harper, who has been injured in the field and is going through rehabilitation. He busted his knee and because he, he really wants to get, get back in the game. On finishing his rehabilitation, he feels he's back. He, he, he submits his um, himself for active duty, only to be uh, told that his blood work came back very messy. He's been taking lots of steroids and performance-enhancing drugs in order to get himself back into the shape he needed to be. And they're like, uh, that's not going to work. That's not going to fly. And so he gets essentially booted out of the military. Now, this is a big problem, not only because that's what his life has been, you know, since day one, but also because he's got family to support. He's got a wife and a young son. So he turns to his old squad leader, Mike, Mm -hmm. played by Ben Harper. Sorry, Ben Foster, who says he he might be able to find him some work. He's like, you could go into the private sector, make top dollar working for some very shady people, essentially sort of sacrifice your morals for for a, a big paycheck, or come and work with me and my mate Rusty, played by Kiefer Sutherland, where it's all off the books, but it's but it's um sanctioned by the government. It's proper. So you're doing it for country but uh, it's it's scalpel work as opposed to sledgehammer work they say <laughs> so it's 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 shady stuff but it's it's for the right reasons it's for the same reasons that you have dedicated your life so he says okay yeah fine i need you know i need the money so i'm going to do it and as soon as he agrees keefer Sullivan's character hands him a fifty thousand dollar check just to Ooh. calm his nerves so needless to say within days they're they're flown over to uh, berlin for what's supposed to be a mission to take out a Syrian biochemical weapons scientist guy. Guess what? Everything goes (laughs) pear-shaped almost immediately. Uh, Everything is not what it seems. And soon Harper finds himself running for his life on the other side of the world uh, from the people he thought he could trust. You've got so, yeah, your, your yeah. We've got deja vu all over well, again. For, so um, on the one hand, you know this is uh, Jason Bourne territory. It is. You know you've got you've got the one man army who can't who is now at odds with with his country and with the uh, with the authorities that he once fought so hard for. Um, but it's not quite. It's nothing like as sort of visceral or intense as the films of Doug Lyman and uh, Paul Greengrass. On the other hand, it feels like you've got, you've got this story of um, disinfra- disenfranchised war veterans, you know, who put their life on their line and gave everything for their country. And now their country has turned their back on them and, you know, left them in their flyover state home uh, with, a, with a family to look after and nothing, you know, and they feel that they've been rejected. Mm. And you get the impression that the initial version of this story was far more focused on that was far more focused on telling a sort of a sort of serious somber drama about the plight of war veterans and how lost they are and how easy it can be to you know go down the slippery slope of mercenary work essentially you know blackwater and things like that hmm. um However, you know, at some point during the production, they were like, no, 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 we want this to be more like a Bourne movie. You know, we want this to be Chris Pine running through the the Berlin sewers at night, um, getting shot by snipers on mopeds and that kind of thing. And you're like, "Okay." And so it kind of attempts to be both those things at the same time, but without quite the same level of quality. So what you get is something that you're like. It's, it's, it's okay it passes 90 minutes but I it just makes you sit there and go oh I could really watch a Bourne movie right now <laughs> <laughs> I really wish I was watching Matt Damon you know kill people with a magazine um and you know Chris Pine is is a watchable guy you know and Ben is always pretty shady and Kiefer Sutherland you know so you've got a good cast but other than Chris Pine, I think Ben Foster and Keith Sullivan are largely wasted in their roles, unfortunately. They're not given enough to do. We know what they are capable of, and that's just frustrating, you know, when we, um, when we see them not being given the opportunity to do that. Chris Pine is fine yes. in the lead role. You know, you, get, you believe that he's this sort of earnest Captain guy Kirk. who feels, <laughs> yeah, well, he's Captain Kirk, right? For, for a whole generation of people. Uh, and he's, you know, and obviously he was in the Wonder Woman movies as well. Um, So he's a he's a straight laced hero. It doesn't like I said, it doesn't have quite the same degree of close quarters intensity. that Paul Greengrass in particular and Matt Damon brought to the uh, to the Bourne movies. So this this feels like a placeholder until they do more of those. And the sad truth is they're not going to do more of those.
0: All right, then quick question for you just before yes. I hit the red button. Tom says, would you say The Contractor is to be watched in the cinema or should we wait for it to appear on the small screen?
1: I don't think you need to see it in the cinema, unfortunately. All
0: right, then. Remind us what we did today. Minions and...
1: So that was Minions, The Rise of Gru, uh, The Contractor. Uh, we had also Man vs. B on Netflix and the Japanese drama Prior Convictions.
0: We'll leave it there. Normal time, normal place next week. James Marsh, take care. See ya.